Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to episode four of This Is Our Effing Podcast, a Red Sox show with your co hosts, Sean McAdam and Steve Lyons. Welcome to another week and another episode of our show. Hope you've enjoyed. Hope you've told your friends about it and let them know that there is a Red Sox podcast that you think they should be listening to, whether it's on Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, please share the word, uh, give us some reviews and let people know about it. Um, meanwhile, back on the field, the Red Sox return from what was a pretty successful road trip, Steve, at four and two. And yet, thanks to the fact that both the Rays and Yankees are red hot behind them, they actually lost ground in the standings. You don't often have a four and two trip and then find yourself in worse place, uh, in, in a worse spot than when you left. But that's where the Red Sox are as they come home to start a homestand against a couple of National League teams this week. Yeah, you know, you'd like to say that not much has changed since last week because this team certainly is playing great baseball as they have been for pretty much, you know, after the opening uh, series against Baltimore. They've been playing excellent baseball, but a lot has changed. It's crazy how well all of a sudden the Yankees are playing and, and now Tampa Bay rattling off 11 straight wins. And you go off on a nice road trip. You come back home and you find out you're not even in first place anymore. That's going to sting just a little bit. It's so early in the season. But, man, this was a team that got out of the gate great. Uh, there was a bunch of other teams, like, like name the Yankees, who were terrible out of the gate. But guess what? They're right on your tail again. And Tampa Bay is now past you. Yeah, and, and Toronto still sort of lingering in the distance, even though they've had a tough last 10 days, losing a couple of tough games to the Red Sox in Dunedin, and then having some difficulty with Tampa Bay. Toronto's got uh, uh, some injury issues. They still don't have George Springer. But, you know, it, it, it's not yet Memorial Day, and which is kind of one of those traditional signposts when people try to get a sense of where division races stand but I, I don't think it's premature to suggest Steve that this is probably going to be a three if not four team race for the better part of the season any suggestion that one of these teams is going to run off and hide from the rest is is uh, probably a little naive yeah and you know it's good for baseball uh the fact that these teams are, are fairly evenly matched and each team has its own set of holes every team out there has some, you know, holes that they have to try to figure out. And, and uh, it's kind of the beauty of the game. It's really tough to put together a 25 or 26 man roster and, and have really good players at every position. It's tough to do. The economics of the game won't let you do it. And uh, then you have to mix and match and hope you get a dark horse that, that puts a, a season together. And when you look at the Red Sox, the way they're built, there are a a bunch of guys on this team that could be that dark horse this season. There's so many new faces and a lot of those guys have performed very, very well so far this season. And, you know, I, I think it's fair to say that you're getting a lot more out of some guys than you thought you were going to get up to this point. Yeah, no question. There've been some pleasant surprises on that Red Sox roster, but, you know, getting back to the issue of, of parity in the division, I, I think you can probably look at a number of different issues there have been, uh, we've talked about injuries and, and how the Red Sox have, for the most part, been able to 
be pretty lucky in that regard. Uh, you know, they've lost Kike Hernandez for 10 days with um, uh, a hamstring strain. They've lost uh, Christian Arroyo for a week and a half or two weeks with a bruised hand contusion. But for the most part, uh, they probably have been as healthy as any team in the league. That That's certainly not been the case for the Yankees, who have had more than their share of injuries. Um, but I also think this gets back to, you know, the rise of analytics where, you know, we, we look at the parity around the game and wonder, you know, how did it get this way? I, I think a lot of it is now organizations, whether they be big market teams like the Yankees or Red Sox or a prototypical small market team like Tampa Bay, they all kind of evaluate players in the same way, right? I mean, you know, each organization has maybe some different metrics that they use or rely upon, but for the most part, you're all using that same information pool. So you go out and you evaluate players the same way. You get your own share of players. Another team gets theirs. And, you know, when it's all said and done, you're all pretty bunched up and equal. Yeah. And the way the game is changing too, you know, I think there are some exceptions to that rule. There's no question about that. And I also, you know, and I'll bring up examples that I think of. Um, and I also think that uh, organizations will start to change the way they evaluate. I, I still think that this, the game of baseball will eventually go back to more of a national league pitching and defense speed style game because the way it's being played right now I, there's there's not that many teams that are all that successful at the all or nothing approach and i think what you were alluding to is that you know the red sox have three or four or five guys on their team that can play multiple positions they're in good shape uh their their abilities uh, allow them to play either in the infield or outfield they can play different positions in both of those scenarios and there's a lot of teams that do that now and i think that cuts down on injuries, having more versatile type players. And the opposition to that is with the example that I was going to use is more like the Yankees. They are more of an all or nothing team. They have guys like judge and Stanton that swing for the Hills every time. And there are injury prone, bigger, strong guys that, you know, are just, you know, torquing every time they're up there. And, you know, I don't want to say less athletic, but a different style of player who's more injury prone. Yeah, you, you mentioned the the um, you know the growth of those super utility guys on some rosters, including the Red Sox. And Alex Cora has said that he believes having for the first month and a half both Kike Hernandez and Marwin Gonzalez on the roster has helped the Red Sox stay healthy because uh, if he senses there's it's time to give Rafael Devers a day. Uh, then you can put Gonzalez over at third base. Um, if uh, if Xander Bogarts needs a day, uh, you could put Arroyo there. You could put Gonzalez there. You could put Kike there. Um, so you're not going to ride your top guys, you know, and in, in the Red Sox case, that would probably be Devers, Bogarts, and Martinez as the three, you know, probably most important position players you have. Uh, but you, you now have the depth to be able to give those guys a day or two so that, you know, they're not going out there tired and subjecting themselves to those kind of soft tissue injuries, the, you know, the calf strain, the hamstring strain, the groin pull that can 
you know, sideline players, not for an extended period, but just enough to create problems for your roster if you're missing a player for 10 days or two weeks. Yeah, and Cora's attitude, uh, you know, may be a surprise to to some people who maybe haven't listened to this podcast or are as close to the Red Sox as you and I have been over the years, but it's no surprise that Alex Cora came in, took the job as manager, and flat out said, I'm going to have versatile players. I'm going to have guys like I was, a guy that could bounce around and play a bunch of different positions, but maybe, you know, and the joke to him and a guy like me would be, yeah, I'm going to take those guys, but I'm getting more talented players that are more or versatile like we were. And, uh, and, and that's what he's done. And, and as I said, that surprises nobody. And, you know, the game has changed so much, even since when I played And my last year was 1993, but you talk to a guy like Jim Rice and he'll tell you, I never wanted a day off. I, I have days off in the winter time. That's when my days off are. And certainly there are days where you're going to be less productive because you're, you know, taking one for the team and you're going out there because you're the team guy, but you can swing it the other way a little too far sometimes too. And I think Cora has done that in his past, given guys days off almost unnecessarily because most players will tell you that they don't really want too many days off. It messes with their timing. It's one of the reasons why baseball players play every day because it's so difficult to, be consistent with the timing of the way the game's played. And so, you know, I, I know that a couple of seasons ago, there were guys that were grumbling a little bit about how much time off they were getting. Well, let's go back to Sunday, the last game of the most recent Red Sox road trip, where they're set to face Zach Wheeler, one of the, you know, in terms of pure stuff, as good as anybody in the National League. Maybe you put, I don't know, Scherzer and DeGrom a, a, a tick above him, but Wheeler's stuff is is plus verging, verging on, on plus plus with a, you know, 96, 97 mile an hour fastball and uh, just a full arsenal of, of pitches. Um, And on that day, uh, missing from the Red Sox lineup uh, were both JD Martinez and Xander Bogarts, two of the team's top three hitters. And Cora's explanation was, well, because it came before, a scheduled off day, meaning Monday, the Red Sox are in the middle of a stretch where they have a couple of off days built into their schedule. Uh, He said giving Bogarts and Martinez Sunday off would allow them to actually have two days off being out Sunday and then the whole team being off Monday and that there would be a benefit to that. I, I, I guess the counter argument there, Steve, is they also have a day off this week, Thursday. So, you know, knowing you're going up against Wheeler, a tough order, you know, a big order to begin with, why not play those guys? And I'm, I'm just playing devil's advocate. It's hard to take issue with the job Cora has done this year, uh, given where the Red Sox are, you know, almost 50, uh, 50 or so games into the season. But, you know, second guessing here a little bit, which is part of the fun of what we do. Why not play them Sunday, knowing that they're going to get two days off in four Monday and Thursday with scheduled off days on the schedule. And that provides the rest rather than sitting them against a tough pitcher. Well, a couple of reasons, I guess. And the in vogue thing to do lately over the last 10 years or so is to take advantage of that off day and give guys two days off. Uh, you give them the Sunday and the Monday, or you give them the Wednesday and the Thursday. If the right. Thursday- to- totally understand that. But just pointing out that because they're off both Monday and Thursday this week, Right. Granted, they're not back to back, but those players would have been given two days off in the span of four. 
Yeah. And you know what? And I just, you know, just finished saying that most players don't like two days off. It's, it's too far away from the game. Uh, You know, they don't, they don't really enjoy it. Some guys do, I guess, or, you know, I'm sure Cora has had conversations with these guys about how they would like to have their days off. And the other factor that comes in there too is, well, there's two of them uh, and it all kind of came together. You look at any ace pitcher that pitches on a Sunday, you're not going to see a very good lineup against the guy. Number one, you're going to give your star players a day off against the other team's ace pitcher because, you know, you're, you're going to try to do them a favor. You know, I mean, I can remember a lot of times when Roger Clemens started, the lineup he faced wasn't the lineup that was going to be in the game the next day. And, and, the, and then you add on top of that Sunday day game after a night game, that's when you give your guys your day off. So you, you got an ace, you have a Sunday day game and another day off after that. So he started getting guys out of there. Yeah, well, and and the results were somewhat predictable as the Red Sox managed uh, very little against Wheeler with just two hits over the first um, six innings. Uh, hey, one of... Tell you, John, I mean, I spent my whole life playing against the other team's ace. You know, that's <laughs> when I got my starts. You know, that you, you give your regular second baseman a day off. You give your, you know, the, the next week when, uh, you know, you're facing Randy Johnson, you know, Wade Boggs sits down and, you know, I go play third base. You know, it's one of those kind of things where you protect your star players. Certainly in a lot of cases, you want your best players in against the other team's best pitcher. But believe me, you've seen it happen your whole career. That's when those guys sit down. And another parallel to your career, Steve, is that you were a guy that, as you noted, uh, could play both the outfield and infield. Uh, that that now applies to three guys on the Red Sox roster, not just Gonzalez and Hernandez, but also newcomer Danny Santana, who hit the ground running here with two home runs in his first two games and then threw in a stolen base. And we'll get to that element of his game in a minute. But, you know, when, when as valuable as those guys are to have, uh, and, and uh, Kike Hernandez has been valuable. Gonzalez has been great defensively, has slumped quite a bit recently offensively. Um, but just having the flexibility uh, is a good thing, as we've noted in this episode, about managers trying to provide rest and have guys that can fill in if there are injuries or rest is needed. But what kind of qualities does it take to be that super utility guy who can – you know, carry with him an outfield glove and an infield glove too. You did it. Well, you know, you got to show up at the ballpark every day, hoping that you're going to be in the lineup and knowing that you're probably not going to be. Uh, that's, that's a difficult mindset. Uh, and then you have to do extra work. You know, you've got to get your reps in and in, in all the different positions that you may be playing. And, you know, if, if you're a guy that bounces around the entire infield, maybe with the exception of shortstop, that doesn't mean you have to take, you know, 50 ground balls at third, 50 at second, and go over and get your work in at first. But you certainly have to do that at some point during the week. And then you got to go get your fly balls out in the outfield. And if you're a corner outfielder, you certainly got to take them off the wall and left field in Fenway. And if you're on the road, you got to go, you know, look at every angle of, of every place that you might be playing out there, see how the ball bounces off the wall, whether you're going to be playing left, right, or center. So you just have more prep work than everyone else. And on top of that, you do all that work. And then you come in and you look at the lineup and your name isn't in there that day. So you certainly got to put your ego in check and understand that your value to the team isn't in running out there every day. It's making sure that, uh, you know, you, you, you are a value to the team on the day you do get to play. And when you think about it, there's no good teams out there 
that don't have good utility players. A crappy team, a team that's not going to win, they don't care who their utility guy is because they're not going to win when he's not playing either. So, you know, you'll never see a bad team without guys on the bench that know what they're doing. Yeah, I, I think two critical differences between now and when you played, Steve. One is that at least in the case of Hernandez and Gonzalez, these aren't utility guys in the traditional mold or maybe as you, you, you know, the, the way you would be classified in your career because they're actually playing almost every day. It's yeah. just that they're not playing the same position. And right. well, the other difference is you talked about showing up at the ballpark and hoping to see your name on the lineup card. I think that, you know, that, that, uh, that uncertainty is now gone too. And managers often through the bench coach communicate to players days in advance when they're going to be in there. So you can prepare a little bit. That makes it a little bit easier. Yeah. You know, no, nobody told us when we were playing, you know, I mean, that, that, that just makes sense. And I don't know why they didn't do it back in my day. You know, occasionally someone might walk by and say, get to rest tonight, you know, and that kind of meant you're going to be in there tomorrow. Um, but you're right. You know, back when I played, you know, the super utility guy was Tony Phillips, you know, he's a guy yep. that never played the same place twice, but was in the lineup every day. And that's the case just with the way the game is played now that managers get their players into the game so much more often than the way it was before and the way the rosters have changed. You know, there was a year when I played where I felt like I was going to be way more valuable to a team because we actually went to a 24 man roster for one season. They did that. I can't remember why. And I can't remember they changed it back. So your utility guy became more valuable to you because you had one less guy to use and the reason why it's so valuable now is because they carry so many more pitchers than they used to. So you're limited as to what kind of moves you can make off the bench. So you might want to hit one guy, but you want to use a different guy to go play defense. Obviously you're going to burn two guys to do that. But Alex Cora has that kind of flexibility where he can do that. We've talked a little bit about um, the arrival of Danny Santana to this major league roster and, and noted that he, uh, arrived with a splash with two home runs in the first two days, also a stolen base, which is somewhat noteworthy on a team that does not run a lot. And Alex Cora said in advance of Santana joining the team that one of the things that really attracted to uh, Santana to the Red Sox, in addition to his flexibility, in addition to his power, this is a guy who hit 28 home runs for Texas as recently as a few years ago, was his ability to steal bases. And sure enough, in his second game, he was able to swipe second base in his first attempt, took a replay review to get that reverse, but he was indeed safe. Um, but this is a team that I think had 19 or 20 stolen bases in the first 47 or 48 games. It hasn't been part of their tool bag, uh, but now with the arrival of Santana, maybe they can do a little bit of that is there still room for the stolen base in 2021? I absolutely think so because, you know, teams don't manufacture runs. And if you think back to the 2018 season when the Red Sox won the World Series, they were not your typical launch angle, hit home runs, strike out a ton team. They had a team that, that had guys that would get on base. You know, Xander Bogarts would, would hit a single the other way. They drive in runs without hitting the ball out of the ballpark. They could manufacture a run. And I think Alex Coro wants to develop a team that goes back in that direction a little bit more. And that means utilize stolen bases. And it also means have guys run that maybe don't have great speed, but can 
catch a napping every once in a while. You know, Vasquez is great at that. Uh, Bogey can run. He should utilize his speed more often. I think you'll see that team start to use the guys who can run. I think they will be a little bit more aggressive with Santana's lead. Yeah, it'll be, you know, it, it's one more thing to have as part of your arsenal. And, and you know, it, it gets you through maybe some stretches of the schedule where your big power guys like Bogarts, like Devers, like Martinez have cooled off a little bit, uh, you know, and, and uh, we, we've seen some low scoring games because of offense being down, because of pitching being dominant. It, you know, if it wins you two or three games over the course of the season, we just got through talking about how competitive the division is. Um, you know, who knows how valuable that could be when when it's all said and done at the end of the year. Yeah, because you you know it's going to come down to the last ten days of the season with with three or four teams fighting it out. It's just the way it's going to be. I think this year. I think you're absolutely right. No one's going to run away and hide. And I, you know, to me that excites me. That that makes me, you know, feel like you know you have to pay attention to every game. Uh, Steve, let's uh, take a little bit of a 30,000-foot look at the game and move off the Red Sox for a minute. One of the things in the news as uh, as the show is being recorded is uh, Cowboy Joe West is breaking the record for most number of games umpired at nearly 5,400 games. This is, he has announced his last year. Um, and uh, certainly Joe West has been uh, in the crosshairs of some controversy over the last few years as a guy who uh, maybe over-involves himself and makes himself a little bit more of the show than an umpire should. Uh, you know, talking to some people around the game, as much as people like to hoot on Joe for uh, some of the stuff he says and does on the field, he's actually a pretty good balls and strikes umpire, um, it, which is more that can be said for others. But I'm, I'm using this to sort of transition into the issue of umpiring in general in 2021 and we hear a lot of talk about the call for robo umps behind the plate at least as far as balls and strikes go where do you stand on that uh it, like most things that has to do with any kind of electronics I'm, I'm i'm against it i always have been um i i believe it or not i love the umpires um i think replay has has shown that they're wrong more than you'd like them to be, but it's an extremely difficult job and they are right most of the time. Uh, it's, it, it's, you know, bang, bang plays at first base, man. That is not easy to do. And, and the replay, obviously, uh, to me, baseball has always been a perfectly imperfect game. And it always was something uh, of a way to teach me how to understand that I'm not always going to be treated fairly and things aren't going to be right. And you have to deal with it and get over it and overcome it. And so, you know, the, the replay, because we have to get it right. No, we don't have to get it right. We just have to let, play the game the way it's played. Uh, robotic umps. I don't, I just, I don't see it. You know, I believe that most of the players really respect the job that the umpires do. And I don't think they want to, uh, you know, a robotic strike zone or something that that moves with each player as he comes to the plate. I don't know. I think it takes away the human element of the game. And I think we've always loved it. Yeah, I'm with you. I, and I, you know, as much as we all like to point out uh, some mistakes that get made or a pitch that gets missed in a big spot, uh, I, I think data has shown 
that at least in terms of and and I I I I'm assuming that you like replay at least you know to settle egregious errors on safe and out calls on the bases. Um, but I'm, I'm getting used to it, but I don't like it. I didn't want it when I when they first said that replay was going to become involved in the game uh, to judge foul and fair home runs. I said you're just opening the door because sooner or later you're going to be talking about it doing everything, and they do, and. You know, I mean, how about the replays where the guy just takes his his foot off? The yeah, bag? That, that's a bad one where, where a, 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 a stolen base attempt, uh, you know, in which a guy is safe, but lifts his finger off the bag uh, two inches for a half a second. And because the tag is still being applied, he's out. I, I think some common sense has to go in there. Um, and it's but- not. <laughs> yeah. But going back to the balls and strikes, I think it would surprise a lot of fans to know that in, you know, using StatCast and other measurable uh, data points, Major League Baseball has determined that that Major League umpires are correct on their balls and strike calls 96% of the time. To me, that's good enough. Uh, you know, Absolutely. it's not 100%. But as you said, there is a human element here. And I, I'm not sure I want to see that go away. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. It's it just, you know, it's just opening up a can of worms that doesn't need to be opened. And it just all comes back to people. And, you know, I, I value other people's opinion if they feel like, oh, yes, we do have to get everything right. I, I, you just don't. It's just never been that way. It's not the way the game has ever been played. And as I said, it's, it's, it's always been a game that teaches you more than just about winning and losing. And, uh, you know, you sometimes you have to overcome things that aren't right and you can cry about it. You know, like I know that I cried about it one time when I was 11 years old. I came home and told my dad that the umpires beat us because of all the bad calls they made. And he went down the line. He asked me and my buddies how many hits we had. And I said, I had two hits. I was two for four. He goes, well, why didn't you get four hits? You know, maybe he could said, if you guys scored 10 runs, maybe nothing that the umpires could have done to right. you would have made a difference. So what he said basically was the umpires will never, ever beat you. They may make it tough on you. They may make some calls that, 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 um, that can change the outcome of, of, of the way, you know, you want the score to go, but they're never going to beat you. Right. Uh, if you it, live that way with that attitude, then, you know, you, you're, you're going to look in the mirror when you lose the game, not at the umpire. In recognition of the record breaker, Steve, um, any good cowboy Joe West stories to tell from your playing career? Well, you know, you're right about Joe. I mean, he was always part of the show. He was sometimes not considered to be the greatest umpire out there, uh, a little bit more part of the show. Um, but man, what he, what, what he was able to do and the longevity that he showed, you know, doing a job that isn't easy to do for that long uh, is amazing. I know Joe personally. He's, he's, he's actually a very fun a uh, happy guy to be around. The, the joke that I tell all the time is that, you know, I was at a golf tournament with him and, and his team took third place. So they got this big plaque and then he turned around and made a belt buckle out of that plaque. So, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> he, he always had the big cowboy belt buckles going. It, it, he's, then, you know, he's entertaining. And, uh, you know, I, I guess there are some fans that would say that umpires shouldn't make themselves um, you know, stand out or be part of it, that the best umpiring is the, is the guy that you don't notice, but uh, maybe we'll miss some of Joe West's personality too. And ultimately does retire at the end of the season. 
Yeah, that's uh, human nature too. You know, I mean, some players are very, you know, you look at Bogey and you look at JD Martinez, not very demonstrative when they play. But then you got, you know, a guy like Bryce Harper or all the other guys that are definitely going to be out there showing their personality. All right, that's going to wrap it up for episode four of This Is Our Effing Podcast, a Red, so- Red Sox show. Uh, as we said at the beginning of the show, let your friends know about it. Spread the word among Red Sox fans. Find the podcast at Spotify, Apple, and all the other platforms where you find your podcasts. And please rate us on those platforms. We'll be back next week. Steve, good talking to you. Until then, take care. I'll see you again. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.